Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banter Podcast, where birders talk birding. County birding rocks. I have to say, I have really enjoyed county birding. By county birding, I mean trying to find as many species of birds in a given county that you can. I bird Pierce counties where I live a lot. They have a nice group of friends here in Pierce, and we bird together. We competitively and cooperatively find as many birds as we can in the county. But I've challenged myself over the last two or three years to really get to know my home state of Washington and have decided to do this by birding in each of the counties enough to really feel like I know my my way around and to get a good list of birds in each county. I'm a long ways from that. There are a couple of Washington birders who have 200 species of birds in each county. Tom Mansfield and Matt Bartell. How they did that, just mind-blowing to me. I don't even have have 50 birds in each county, and I feel like I've gotten around quite a bit, so those guys have been fanatical about it. But uh, I've decided to just have fun with it and see what I can do. Uh, So I've been trying to really get to know each of the counties. Well, Mason County is a county near where I live. My good friend, Ken Brown, birds Mason and Kitsap counties extensively. He lives in Kitsap County, but real close to Mason County. So this week, uh, Ken and I got out birding in Mason County. He told me, you know, he, he set up the day to go to a bunch of good places, see what we could see, but also sort of designed uh, to try to add to my list of county birds. He thought we had a good chance of finding eight new birds, eight birds I hadn't seen in Mason County before, on a day of, you know, eight or ten stops here and there, kind of a full day. Uh, we started at Belfair State Park. Belfair is a nice little park, uh, essentially a big camping area, but a nice little park uh, that has a nice wetland area that if you get there near high tide has some good uh, edge habitat for shorebirds. Uh, and I had not birded Mason County in my in fall, in shorebird migration before, so I knew I'd get western sandpiper this. So we got a western sandpiper right away, and we're looking around, and I see out over the top of the grass, pretty far away, a bird's head just kind of popping up and down, acting like a dowager, you know, up and down, sewing, uh, sewing machine sort of stitching that they do when they feed in the mud. And I told Ken, I've got a bigger bird, might be a dowager. Look at it, and sure enough, long-billed dowager, which is his first of the year bird. It's early for the returning uh, migrant shorebirds yet, and the first long-billed dowager of the year for Kenza. He already had a great day, got a first-of-the-year bird in the county, which he birds a lot. Added his number one uh, county bird of there for the year. Uh, so that was really cool. So we took off from there, and one of our next stops was at a place called Bayshore Preserve. It's a really cool area. I think I might have been there once before, but it's got a nice variety of habitats. It's got, it used to be an old golf course that's been deserted. And so it has big open field sort of areas with big trees around it. And so we, we thought we could get me four new county birds there. And I got all four of them. We got brown creeper, chipping sparrow, and scrub jay uh, to my list. And that was really cool. Uh, but uh, as we're walking, walking through there, Ken spots a barn owl. Barn owls are not easy to find in Mason County. It was his uh, county first for him, and he was just doing a victory dance. It was so cool. Uh, first county bird for him. Uh, really great looks. I got some pictures. You can check out my Facebook page uh, for photos of the of the barn owl also, or eBird list from that day. Uh, I'll also uh, post a photo in the blog post I put about this this episode. Uh, but barn owl was a really cool day. It was just a great barn owl, just sitting there in the tree. We got nice looks at it. It was really fun. Uh, And so we headed out from there. And through the rest of the day, 
we had a lot of good stops. Maybe the best stop of the day was at Potlatch State Park. Potlatch is a place where you get a nice uh, bay view. It's, it's, a, it's a big sound there, part of Puget Sound, looking over the salt water, and a good place to see seabirds. So we were just looking. The main target there for me was a marble murrelet, not an uncommon bird in Washington, uh, but one I didn't have in Mason County. And sure enough, after scanning for a few minutes, Ken finds a, a marble murrelet. Great. But then just over the top of the marble murrelet, way, way out on the water, he's spots this gigantic brown bird and he looks at it and he's like oh my god I think I've got a pelican and we look out and sure enough as we get focused in on it it's a brown pelican just sitting on the water way way out there this is a really uncommon bird for Mason this may be the third or fourth uh, county sighting for brown pelican Ken certainly didn't uh, have it on his county list and it was a terrific bird for the county so we are super excited and while I'm looking at the brown pelican a common mer flies right through my binos I go oh, oh common American and that says common mer you think so I go yeah no doubt about it easy easy idea you had the whole black uh, black head and chest sharply demarcated white uh, shining white uh, underparts is no doubt common mer and so he goes that that's really uncommon we got to find it so we look and we look and look and sure enough the bird had circled back and sat on the water we got you know distant but decent looks at common mer and then took off and flew again so we got good looks and so that was the third uh, county first bird for Ken. And he's at a point now where getting county first birds is not, not easy. He's, I think it's brought him up to 200 birds for the, for the county, which is you know, a really nice list for Mason County. But to get three county first birds in a day was just, yeah, he was victory dance, high-fiving with elbow bumps uh, in this COVID time. We were pretty jazzed. Uh, but anyway, uh, county birding is really fun. Uh, and ornithology is pretty fun, too. I've been studying this uh, textbook, the, the uh, bird biology course at Cornell University. And I have to say, it's, it's a really uh, interesting and wonderful text, but it's a big textbook. And my uh, attention span's not been that long. So I've kind of been uh, putzing my way through that course at a really, but I recommend it. It's really good. But my guest today is an ornithologist. Dr. Roger Letter is a retired ornithologist uh, from Cal State Chico and uh, the creator of, of ornithology.com. Great URL, ornithology.com. Where else would you go to learn about ornithology? But it has a nice, nice set of resources about ornithology. Pretty much most things you'd want to know, it at least has an intro and some links to. So it's a pretty good site. And I follow his blog. So I, I got to know him by reading his blog. Uh, but uh, I have to say, uh, I, I uh, had a fun time talking with him, and talking with him got me to thinking back at my personal history. Uh, he started his blog, his website, when he retired. And I have to say, uh, I, I started birdbanner.com more or less when I, a little after I retired. But I've had I've had a good time over the years when I have a passionate uh, sideline sort of hobby sort of thing. And I'm not really good with my hands. It's not like I do woodworking or stuff like that. I don't like yard work a whole lot. Uh, but I do like technical stuff a little bit. And so I've had some really fun uh, online sort of uh, hobbies over the years. First was not really a hobby at all. I started the electronic medical record at Sound Family Medicine back in 1997, kind of the bleeding edge of electronic medical records, back when you paid a lot of money to get an electronic medical record system that didn't do anything. So I spent a couple of years writing uh, the, the, the programming sort of stuff for, for 
forms and ways to enter data and form a good database and really burned the, the midnight oil doing that. But it was pretty fun. I had uh, got to know a good group of people around the country using the same software, uh, and we had a good time doing that. But then years went by, and I started a blog, drpullen.com. Had a nice time with drpullen.com for several years, uh, and then just kind of ran out of the passion for that after a few years, but had fun writing that. You can check it out if you want, drpullen.com. Lots of uh, primary care and, and general medical-focused stuff on that. So I had a good time with that. And then I started birdbanner.com. So I've really had a good time with that. And that uh, was fun to reminisce in my mind about that uh, after talking to Dr. Letter. Uh, I've really talked to some people who are just passionate about what they do and things that I hadn't thought a whole lot about. Examples of Susie Gilbert on episode number 55. Susie is a bird rehabber. She has worked for years uh, rehabilitating injured or sick birds. I mean, Cool stuff, but not a not a topic that I'd really thought about. But she is really into that, and she's also an author. She wrote a couple of books about uh, you know novels uh, that just cool stuff. One was sort of her story, and another was a, a sort of mystery adventure novel of a bird rehabber. Uh, so cool stuff. You should check those out. Uh, I also got to talk with Alex Israel in episode thirty-eight. Alex works is a member of the New York City Audubon Society, and she has worked with the Safe Flights Program. The Safe Flights Program uh, is uh, people who are passionate about birds being injured in migration primarily at night. And skyscrapers are one of the big issues of that. Nightlight pollution in skyscrapers are huge issues to migrating birds. The lights draw them in, and the skyscrapers kill them when they crash into the glass walls at night on migration. Uh, and her work, along with lots of other uh, people, uh, has actually led to a, a regulation in New York City now that all new buildings, skyscrapers that get put up, have to have uh, siding, glass coverings that are less prone to have bird collisions. And so that'll be huge. Uh, a lot less birds will get killed if other cities adopt that too. So I thought that was pretty cool. I've also gotten to know, talk to some really, really top birders, Shawnee Finnegan uh, and Alvaro Aramillo are, are examples, uh, Dorian Anderson, the biking big ear guy, and John Sterling, a top California birder, have been guests, and I've really gotten a chance to talk with them, and it's been fun to talk and get to know them a little bit better. I've also gotten to go birding with some of the people I've had as guests. Examples of Mary Gustafson. I met Mary in the National Butterfly Garden, and we didn't really go birding a whole lot, but after sitting down, recording the episode, and hearing her story, which was really fun, uh, she walked her. She says, oh, have you seen the Eastern Screech Owl yet? And I said, no. And she walks me over to this uh, little canopy-covered picnic area and kind of tucked up in the top and the reed ceiling is a, an Eastern Screech Owl, just Sitting there, really cool. Never would have seen it otherwise. Very neat to see. Uh, also, I got out with a young birder, 12-year-old birder, Ryan Rodriguez, that I heard about and met while I was in Texas. We recorded an episode with his dad and then got to go a day of birding with Ryan. It was just super fun to see just a you know, prodigy-type kid out birding. It was really fun. Uh, and on this episode, I talked with Dr. Letterer, who is a accomplished a retired ornithologist from Cal State Chico, uh, and he has an interesting story, and I hope you enjoy the Bird Banner Podcast, episode number 67, with Roger Letterer. Dr. Letterer, welcome to the Bird Banner Podcast. Thanks for being on with me today. Thank you. Nice to meet you, or e-meet you, I guess. I yes, I guess that, that would probably be the, the more correct term, but that's great. Well, I appreciate it. I have been uh, subscribing to your uh, blog for some period of time, and it's always pretty interesting stuff. Uh, 
you're a retired ornithologist, is that correct? That's right, Trev. I've been, what, 20 years since retirement now. Oh my goodness, so you are, you are well retired. You're used to retirement. I'm well retired, yeah. I mean, I've stayed in ornithology, but not, a, not in a real official sense anymore. Very cool. Tell me about how did you get interested in having a website and a, and a blog and all of that? How, tell me about the origin of that and how it's evolved. Well, when I was uh, approaching retirement, I thought, okay, what am I going to do? I, mean, I had lots of ideas. And then it was at the same time, it was always uh, the dot-com revolution was coming about and everybody was buying dot-coms. And I thought, hey, why not ornithology.com? I can learn something about the computer and keep in ornithology and... Uh, who knows, maybe even make a little money on the side. That latter part didn't work, but the rest of it did. So I looked up ornithology.com and somebody already owned it. Some guy in LA who, did, who actually didn't even know what ornithology meant. He just thought it was a cool name. And he worked as a lighting, stage lighting guy in LA. And he just invested in a whole bunch of these things. Uh, and so I went down to meet with him and we thought we could share this. And, you know, he could do the technology and I do ornithology. Well, he had so many other things to do that I just finally bought him out and I did the ornithology. But he taught me something about doing the website and I got interested in doing that. It's been, it's gotten so complicated now though, actually, uh, I, I still maintain the website and do some work on it, but if I have a little technical issue, I've hired somebody who Good for can, you. can fix things for me, because it's just, it's really much more sophisticated than it used to be. Is yours a WordPress site, or do you use some other uh, platform? It's WordPress now, it was something else I forgot, or oh, Dreamweaver before. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, I, I use WordPress for my bird banner block dot com yeah. site and, and a couple of others that I do. So it's, it's manageable for most things. Huh? I bet you yeah, get by. Manageable on a daily basis, but every once in a while something happens and I go, whoops, okay, better call Todd. For sure. Good. So it, anyway, it keeps me in contact with a lot of people. I get emails from all over the world uh, asking questions and making contacts. And I've gotten several book contracts through that. People want to know if I was interested. The interesting thing is, I mean, I, I do have a PhD in ornithology, so I am, you know, an expert. But um, it seems like anybody and their brother could have signed up for ornithology.com, like that stage lighting guys, and, and he could have been the expert, I suppose, just because he's got the name. So yeah. can't always trust websites, I guess. You've got a valuable URL, that's for sure. Uh, yeah. the, sim the simple URLs were snapped up by people just like him who who that's wanted right. to uh, who wanted to you know own them and sell them. You know, so it's well, a, he actually made up pretty well. He owned Tahiti.com. He bought that, sold it for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Good for him. Good yeah, for him. He did, he did all right. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so how has the website evolved? Have you had a blog the whole time or did it start out more just an editor? Oh, the, blo website? the blogs have come over just recently. You know, I just wanted to expand my website and uh, the, my, my technical guru said, well, you need to have a blog then. I said, okay, well, I've written a bunch of stuff. I wrote for our local newspaper, used to write a weekly column, and then I wrote for a bunch of other things. So I have a lot of stuff I can pull out and, you know, modify and excerpt and things like that. I've written 10 books now, so there's pieces in there that I can use from that. So it's fairly easy to do, and I just do it once a week, and I make it, you know, 500 words, so people can go through it any more than that, and I think they start to slow down. 
<laughs> you know, and throw a picture or two in there. It seems to be doing okay. I've been enjoying it. You have a knack for adding just enough information that it's interesting and, and not too superficial, but yet not so deep that it uh, just uh, snows, snows me with uh, technical data. So it, it, you have a nice balance. Try to put some links in there so people really want to get into the nuts and bolts of it. They can look up other things too. Sure, I've noticed that. Uh, so you're not just an ornithologist, but you're a birder. Uh, what, what sort of birding do you do? Do you get out much? No, I don't get out a lot. Mostly now in my backyard, you know, with the social distancing and things sure. like that. But I like to travel. So I don't travel for birding, but I definitely do birding when we do travel. I've been to all the continents. I've been, you know, a hundred different countries. And so whenever we go, I just bring my binoculars and local bird book and, uh, you know, see what I can find. And uh, some places have been fantastic. Uganda, I thought, was just absolutely amazing. Yeah, Africa. <laughs> Africa especially, yeah. I haven't been to Colombia. Colombia's got the most birds of any country, but I haven't made it there yet. Yeah, I haven't either. Uh, my daughter lives in Costa Rica, so I'm uh, looking forward to some uh, Latin American That's birding. That's a cool place, too. When I can travel. Yeah, again. exactly. <laughs> yeah. I was supposed to go visit her this spring, but that uh, uh, did not happen. Uh, so sometime, hopefully not too long. We'll see. It's hard to judge. Now, tell me about your career in ornithology. How did how did uh, how did that come about? Were you a birder as a kid, or did you just decide on that in college, or, or how that? No, come actually about? not. I was uh, I was interested in fish. I raised tropical fish when I was in high school, and uh, had a whole. In fact, our whole dining room was lined with tropical fish tanks before I went off to college. And I really wanted to be an ichthyologist. But when I got to college and started learning all the professors, the ornithology professor. S. Charles Kendi, who was pretty well known at the time, um, just really got me turned on to uh, birds. And, and at the same token, the ichthyologist professor was an idiot. <laughs> he <determined what> he <laughs> was. And uh, so I didn't go his route. I'm still interested in tropical fish. In fact, I have a house now. I have a little house outside our house, uh, a fish house, that I'm still raising tropical fish. When I retired, I said, I always wanted to have a fish room. So now I raise tropical fish as well as watch birds. Very cool. Uh, so you said you loved Uganda. You've been to Antarctica? Yes. I, I was scheduled on the ABA trip that's going there this fall, but it's uh, put off a year. So we'll see how that all works out. Uh, they had, a, they had a, a cruise that was going there with pretty much full of birds. The ABA had pretty much all birders on the boat. So it was oh, really? going to be pretty darn cool. Uh, and it had, you know, stops at various places, the Falklands and right. Georgia and right. things like that. So it was going to be a spectacular trip, I think, but maybe in a year we'll yeah, see. Yeah, South Georgia is really special. It was really interesting. Yeah, well, that's what I wanted yeah. to do. I saw some of these trips that just went to the Antarctic Peninsula. And I said, if you're going to go mm -hmm. that far and spend that kind of money, uh, and it was pretty pricey, that I wanted to do the whole thing. Falklands, sure. Falklands were okay, but South Georgia was worth a special trip. Nice. What uh, you saw, obviously, a lot of penguins and skuas and tube noses and things right. like that down yeah. there. You know, and the seals and the whales and all that kind of stuff. And we got to do a little kayaking, which was actually oh, wow. a little frightening for me. I mean, I like to do that adventurous stuff, but I don't know, being out there in the ice flows and the whales and the big seals and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, leopard, a leopard seal could kind of make exactly. short work of a kayak. I think. 
Very cool. Uh, besides uh, Antarctica and Uganda, what were some of your other favorite places to go? Oh, I think well, in Africa, I've been to South Africa and Namibia, and I wanted, well, actually only been to Namibia for a couple of days, you know, on a cruise ship and stopped off and, and spent the day there. But I'd like to go back and see more of that. And Kenya, just I, almost any place in Africa is of interest. I've only made two trips to Africa, to Morocco and to Kenya, but boy, I, they were pretty yeah. special. Yeah. Pretty special places. And even just the, while we were in, uh, I always wanted to go to the stands, you know, Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan, and we did uh, about three years ago, went to five countries. Nice. Never been to, you ever know anything about Turkmenistan? It's got to be the weirdest place in the world. Absolutely just a bizarre place. Um, in what way? Well, there's a dictator, and every, every single building is white marble. It's either covered with white marble or made of white marble. And there's nobody on the streets. Um, it's, and it's, you know, the, the dictator is in charge of everything. He's, he's the best of everything and he writes all the books for the whole country. And uh, it's just absolutely bizarre. But anyway, we didn't see very many birds. I read a book before that said, oh, one of the best birding places in the world are all the stands. I, I think I saw maybe 40 species in a month. Oh, wow. So you're there a month. So you really oh, have to Kazakhstan, cool. Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, all those places. So you uh, decided to get into ornithology instead of ichthyology. Uh, how did your career path? You went to uh, graduate school, obviously. Right. So after undergraduate school, I did, you know, work for Uncle Sam in the Army and then went back to graduate school and uh, then worked on birds. I mean, got, I had to take my other, uh, obviously, other courses, but uh, then I, started, I did my research on birds, did a couple different research projects, including my thesis, and then uh, got a job out here in California where I taught mostly ecology and ornithology and did research on birds and, uh, you know, anything bird related I was involved with. So did you uh, work at UCAL Chico? I saw in the, the your email address, it looks like it might be. Uh, well, I'm retired, but I still have the email address at the university. Okay, is it, it was at University oh, of California? California Chico? State University, Chico. Cal State U. Okay, I, I get the, I'm not, from, I'm not from California. I get the university and the cat and the you, state college. People get them mixed up. Universe. It's just a, there's a UC system with nine campuses and the CSU system with 23 campuses. And then the right. uh, junior college system with, I think, 56 campuses. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I know California has a fabulous uh, uh, public college education system that's, uh, yeah. Yeah, although everybody's at home now, unfortunately. Yeah, a whole lot of, uh, uh, if you were still teaching, you would know all about Zoom, trust me, uh, or, or some equivalent. I'm glad I'm not teaching now. I mean, ornithology, you know, it's very field-oriented. I mean, we did lab work too, but, you know, we'd spend uh, one class a week out in the field, and you can't do that anymore, and you, and you can't do labs anymore either. I suppose we do field work yeah. if we stayed six feet apart, but sort of difficult to do. It is hard to do. Uh, just just general birding has changed. Uh, you know, I'm not a researcher or anything, but birding, you know, pretty much go alone most of the time, or with one other person you meet there and uh, and get out and uh, you know, staying six feet apart when you're in the field with a small group is not not a challenge. But it's uh, you know, not no. the same, for sure. Uh, Dr. Letter, have you uh, have you uh, 
taught uh, community-based uh, birding classes, or have you mostly stuck with the university? Oh, no, I've done a lot. There's a, a group called Ali. I'm not, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's all over the country. Uh, Osher Lifelong Learning Institute. Um, and it's, it's people for people over 50. You know, mostly okay. senior citizens, and I've taught several classes for them on birding and trees, uh, but a couple things on birds, and um, and also uh, I do something for our bird festival every year. We have one in the spring, and I get regular calls to go give a talk to you know this group or that group or something like that. Although all that I had to cancel a whole bunch of them, you know, when this COVID nineteen came. So I'm still in contact with all the bird people around here. Yeah, I bet you are. Good for you. Uh, do you have any, uh, you know, things you especially want to do coming up in terms of travel or birding? What, what's on your horizon if all, all seems safe? Well, I'm sort of slowing down, you know, I'm pushing 80 years old, so I'm not doing the adventurous stuff like I used to anymore. I think I want to spend more time in Europe. My wife and I have discovered that if we just rent an apartment in some small town and let's take the train around and explore the countryside, you know, it used to be you'd go on a cruise ship or you'd go on a, a, a tour somewhere, you hit all the big cities and you'd see the sites, the Eiffel Tower, and whatever, Leaning Tower. And uh, now I'm just more interested in the individual people and the culture and taking it easy and sort of living like an Englishman or living like a Frenchman or something like that is what I'd like to do and do a little birding on the side. Sure, sounds like fun. Uh, I have to say, I've, I've found that going to a place and staying there a while is my favorite way to travel. I, uh, I, I you know, mostly birding stuff for me. I, I spent a month in Texas this winter. You know, I live in Tacoma, so. Here in the winter is maybe a place to try not to be the whole winter. It's especially nice this time of year, but uh, in the winter you get it gets a little gray yeah. after a while. And so I, I went down to uh, McAllen, Texas. Oh yeah, oh yeah, right. Brownsville is right across the border. And yeah, that's a nice area. Yeah, it was it was wonderful. It was really cool. We uh I had a couple of birding friends come down for a, uh, a, a little over a week and then uh, led a group from my birding club here in Tacoma. Uh, uh, 10 people came down and showed them around and we literally just got back in time, you know, just before it was stuff to travel. Uh, so that worked out really well. Yeah, but staying in a place is, is nice. You get to know some people, you get to know the area. So when really did, when did you start doing these podcasts? Uh, it's been about a year and a half. Uh, I, my stories are not dissimilar from yours with your website. I, uh, I, you know, I retired. My wife got sick and she passed away uh, about uh -oh. three years ago. Uh, but uh, I, I, I uh, anyway, I, I'm a family. I'm a family doctor, and I, I stopped working uh, last couple of years of her life, except for a little bit. Uh, and then I, you know, after she passed, I got I got to do something, and uh, and I, I didn't really want to back to work it was uh, I was having too too much fun doing other stuff uh, and so decided well maybe I'll start a podcast I enjoyed listening to podcasts there were you know bird chick has a podcast and Nate Nate Swick on the ABA website has a podcast and uh, Bill Thompson used to have a podcast before he passed on on uh, the bird watchers digest I can't remember what their podcast is called uh, and it still goes on obviously without him but I liked listening to those and I said you know I'm just going to take a different approach. I'm just going to talk to birders about birding, hear their birding story, and and get to meet some new people and have a little technical challenge. It's been really fun. I've got to talk to cool people like you that uh, there's no other reason I would have had to 
sit down. Oh, Sometimes cool. I yeah. get to sit down. I'm, I'm sitting down in a different room than you are, but it's the same idea. Kind of get to know people a little bit. It's been really fun. Uh, I've met some super cool yeah. people. Oh, yeah. Some interesting people. I just had a little discussion with the, uh, well, sort of discussion. I wrote a letter to the editor a couple of times of Birdwatcher's Digest. I've been trying to get them to change their um, capitalization of bird names. They're I, I saw your <laughs> a blog post on that. Yeah, good luck. They just don't seem to want to, uh, you know, change. They're just gonna. Doesn't sound doesn't sound like there's any incentive for them. They they've got their uh, policy and they're sticking with it. Well, the Chicago Manual of Style suggests that, so they're just gonna stick with it. And I just I think they're gonna they're gonna roll over one of these days, but. Yeah, we all have yeah, our pet peeves. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like if, that, if that's your if that's your worst pet peeve. No, no, my worst pet peeve is when people say birds and animals. Yeah, yeah, I I read about that too on your on your book. Yeah, birds and animals. Uh, yeah, do you look for animals when you go birding too? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, some of them. Although I have to say, I am uh, more of a uh, single focused uh, naturalist than most people are. I uh, I. When I get out, I uh, I pretty much know the birds pretty well. But when start people start talking about the dragonflies or the butterflies or things like, I I don't uh, know too much. Yeah, I'm becoming more of a naturalist too than, than I was just an ornithologist. My wife and I, my wife, we wrote a, we have a local park here, but we wrote a book uh, about ten years ago. Our local park, we have a big local park, four thousand acres that runs all the way through town, and we—it's called Bidwell Park. And we wrote the birds of Bidwell Park. She illustrated it, and I wrote it, and that was out for about ten years. And we decided to do the trees. So last year we finished the trees of Bidwell Park, and right now we're working on the wildflowers. So I taught yeah. field biology, I taught ecology, so I pretty much knew these kinds of things, although, you know, birds were my, ornithology is my specialty. But now I'm getting back into, you know, holistic nature, I guess you could call it. I, I'm working on it too. I uh, just got my uh, Dragonflies and Butterflies books of the Pacific Northwest uh, after talking with uh, Stefan Schlick. Stefan is a birder from Portland, and I had him on the show, and he said, oh, he's really into dragonflies and butterflies lately. So he gave me the names of books to get, and I you know, tried to learn a little bit. Uh, it's tough. Gosh, getting started with something like that. It's, uh, dragonflies, especially. Boy, they, they could zip by. That dragonflies <laughs> are spectacular. I was just I'm actually looking yeah. at some this morning. One called a flame something, a flame skimmer. Oh, red, red mm -hmm. uh, uh, dragonfly. Just amazing. I don't know how you identify one from another by the except by the color. But yeah, I guess you got to yeah. look, it's look not at their easy. mouth parts and things like that. Yeah, I think uh, for some of them, you have to uh, literally capture them, almost dissect them. But uh, I, I'm told that by if you get a decent photograph of most of them, you can you can do pretty well. Yeah, well, they're a lot harder than birds, that's for sure. You know, uh, whatever, you, uh, whatever you're uh, passionate about and you've studied is easier than the things you're, you don't know so well, it seems like. Dr. Letter, do you have any, uh, any advice for somebody who might want to get into academic uh, Ornithology. I, I I talk to you know a fair number of young birders, you know teens and and young twenties who are you know out of college or in college and you know what it's got to be a competitive field to get a academic job in in uh, 
ornithology? How would, what would set somebody up for success in that endeavor? Now, I've got a page on my website, I don't know if you've seen it, on careers in ornithology, and I tell people that, you know, we just, people are, very few people are just ornithologists. They tend to be wildlife biologists or conservationists, or they work in zoos, or they work uh, teaching or at a nature center or something like that. So ornithology is just part of it. But what I sit and I get, you know, probably once a week, I get an uh, email from something say, and sometimes from old uh, retired people like us who uh, want to go into ornithology. And uh, a lot of them think that oh, what they want to do is learn the birds. If they really learn the birds, they're going to make them ornithologists. Well, I tell them, I said, we'll make I them said, a birder. you know, you can learn the birds. That's not a problem. Anybody can do that with a little bit of work. What you want to do if you want to go into ornithology seriously is take math and English. Because that's how you're going to do research. That's how you're going to analyze things. And that's how you're going to communicate with people. Math and English are the two most important backgrounds, I think, for ornithology that I can suggest to anybody. Besides, of course, learning the birds. Yeah, probably uh, for any science-based career. Uh, any science-based career, you know, math, it, you know, if you don't know statistics and you don't know how to analyze data, why? It's hard to right, be but you have to communicate that stuff to people too. So you have to write, and you have to be able to speak, and uh, you know people don't think about that. They just think about okay, they're going to learn the birds. For sure, I think the English uh, or whatever language is your native language uh, is probably universal for almost every career. My wife had an advertising business, and uh, she always said, "Writers rule." You know, uh, the the graphic designers they're fine, but the the writers, the copywriters, the people who do the writing, they they uh, they drive the train. You know, they they're the ones who uh, get the message across. And yeah, I don't know what it is for uh, scientists, but I read somewhere where engineers, after they become professional engineers, spend eighty percent of their time writing. So it's not engineering; it's eighty percent <laughs> of their time writing. And I suspect it's the same thing for scientists too. I bet you're right. I bet you're right. Reading and writing and uh, responding to emails and all of the other other aspects of writing. reading, writing, and arithmetic. I've, I've been working my way through the Cornell University online uh, bird biology course. Have you seen that at all? It's quite good. I haven't seen it, um, but I suspect it really is. Um, I've, I've heard some good things about it. I just haven't looked at it myself. Somebody, somebody wanted to split it with me. They said, how about you spend, you pay half the cost of it and we'll study it together. And I would say, I'm an ornithologist. I don't need to be paying for ornithology lessons. But um, he really? finally did it himself and said he really enjoyed it. And, you know, Cornell's, they're, they're number one. So uh, they've got to have a lot of good stuff to say. Another thing I suggest is uh, just get an ornithology textbook. I mean, there are an awful lot of books on birds. There's something like one book, one bird book a day is published of various sorts. But some of the basic textbooks, there are only maybe a handful of them now. That's, that's what you want to read if you've got enough biology background. Yeah, that, that's the nuts and bolts of the Cornell course is this big, you know, gigantic book. Uh, but it's it's backed up by tremendous online resources. But just the book is, it's you know it's expensive, but it's worth the money. It's really good. Yeah, all books are expensive now. It used to be pretty cheap. I remember the last time I was embarrassed when I taught ornithology, and this was you know 15 years ago. The textbook was 125. dollars Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
the whole course at Cornell is, I think, three ninety five. So it's you know it's not cheap, but for a college course, you know, it seems reasonable. Yeah, well, I, yeah, it is. I mean, I'm, I know I pay my granddaughter's college tuition. I know it's it's not cheap. Yeah, that is true. Well, Roger, uh, thanks for being a guest today. Did you have any other things you wanted to uh, touch on today? Well, the only thing I want to say is, is people. I'm glad people continue to be interested in birds because I think birds are the way that people get interested in the ecology and the way that they're going to save natural areas and save the world if you want, if you really want to get uh, serious about it. Because birds are people entry into the natural world. So we need to pay attention to them first. I think you're right on there. I have to say, uh, most birders I know are pretty conservation minded and, uh, and you know, part of the reason I'm doing this is to be an ambassador for birding. You know, it's just to you know spread the spread the gospel according to birding. You know, That's what I do way. too. It's just maybe a little bit broader. I'm just want to get people interested in science and science education and understand that nature rules us and not the other way around. You're totally right. Keep up the good work. Anyone who wants to see your website, it's just ornithology.com. Like the easiest. Uh, URL in the world to remember, ornithology.com. You can subscribe to your blog. And, and it has a, a lot of really cool physiology pages and anatomy pages and stuff like that. So it's not really an ornithology course, but it's a little intro. Well, nice talking to you, Ed. Nice to meet you. Nice to talk to you. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up the Burbainer Podcast, episode number 67 with Dr. Roger Letterer. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the Burbainer Podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. And until next time, good birding. Good day. <laughs> <laughs>